MarTech. MarTech. Marketing technology. The category represents everything from tools to help businesses post pics on Instagram to email automation workflows, from hosting a website to using AI to manage your database cleanliness, from dynamic ad networks to meme generators. It's big, it's complicated, and for lack of a better word, it's kind of a shit show. Today's guest conducted a simple exercise 10 years ago. He put the logos of the marketing tech companies on a slide and grouped them by category. At first, it was cute. 150 logos and a couple of categories. One year later, it was 350 logos. Last year, it was a mind-bending, PDF-breaking, 8,000 logos where you have to scream enhance like a daytime crime show just to get a sense of what's going on. And that, that's a problem. The problem is not that MarTech, the graphic, is getting impossible to understand. The problem is that MarTech, the industry, is getting impossible to sustain. With Zoom Info data showing that there are now more than 8,000 marketing technology tools, but the average company is only using about 75 of them, we have to ask, how much is too much? So let's start easy. Can you give me your name and your title? Sure. Scott Brinker, VP Platform Ecosystem at HubSpot and editor of the chiefmartech.com blog. Perfect. Okay, so Scott, can you tell me a little bit about the Chief Martech blog, specifically the Chief Martech graphic? So when I started the blog, what I was really trying to do was persuade senior marketing executives that they should hire more technical talent into their department because marketing was steadily becoming a more technology-powered discipline. Can you descri- like describe me version one, what it looks like as if no one had ever seen it before? Sure. So it was a slide with about 150 marketing technologies on it. And I clustered them into, you know, groups of like, oh, these are tools for social media marketing. These are tools for your website. These are tools for marketing automation and email marketing. There was maybe around like 30 categories or something like that. And everyone's reaction to it was, oh, my goodness there is way too much marketing technology out there, uh, including mine. I'm like, wow, that, that is a lot of tools. <laughs> <laughs> I guess originally, so you made it for a slide for a presentation. Why did you have to make that slide? You know, for a lot of senior marketing executives 10 years ago, I don't think they even recognized how many tools there were floating through their department. And when you stood back and you saw, okay, not only is this a whole bunch of these logos, but each one I can actually look at, I'm like, oh yeah, we do use that. And oh yeah, this one over here, I've heard of them. I know why I would want them. And if I had just given them a number, I said, you know, on average, you probably have a couple dozen tools out of these hundred I'm not sure that it would have had the same visceral impact of being able to like actually see these logos. It started to just create that connection uh, to be able to say, oh, okay, wow, there really is a lot of technology in marketing. I, I have so many tales of like, you know, a CMO being in a meeting with them. And when they're asked, well, what's your marketing technology stack? You know, their answer comes back is like, 
Oh, well, we use Adobe. That's it. No, that's the only one we have. And then you bring up the chart and you start to walk through it. And then they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, we have that. Yeah, we have that. Uh, yeah, 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 we have those. And, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like the light bulb goes off and you're like, holy crap, I actually do have a big marketing stack. Who do? <laughs> okay, pause. I feel like this is when somebody learns how to cook for the first time and they start, you know, buying all of this quick kitchen equipment that they don't even know how to use. Sam, you're literally describing me right now. Like this is the exact position I'm in in this very moment in my life. I feel like the way these CMOs felt when they saw the graphic for the first time is the way that I feel when I take my biannual trip to the back of my closet. Like, holy shit, I can't believe I have this much stuff. What is it for? How did I get here? Who am I? This is like a regularly occurring existential crisis for me. I don't think Scott's graphic brought a regular existential crisis for these CMOs, but it's it's not really that extreme. I think it probably was, Sam, actually. I think you're underestimating the mental wellness of people in the C-suite. For better or worse, that might be true. One of the things I wonder about is we've gone from, what, 150 to like 8,000. Do you ever second guess where you've placed companies? Do you ever look back at other old graphics and was like, that was a wrong call on my part? Oh, yeah. All right. Well, you, you're definitely getting to the heart of the things that keep me up at night. Um, categorization is hard. Uh, and it's hard for some really good reasons, uh, partly because, you know, uh, companies actually have capabilities that could be represented in multiple categories. And I've generally tried to limit that just from a scale perspective, but also some of the greatest innovations happening in MarTech are by people creating products that they don't care about categories the way analysts think about them. What they care about is what's the customer actually want? Like what is the problem I can solve in marketing? And they've got really creative solutions to that. And I love those products, but they're really hard to like put into a category because that's just not the game they're playing and good for them. And so somewhere along the line, I'd say maybe about four years ago, I finally just made peace with the fact that, you know, we'll take our best guess based on what we see them talking about on their website, who their competitive set is, you know, and we'll do our best job of placing it. But at the same time, again, now that you've got this map of like 8,000 logos, I, I, I'm just trying, like, it, it's, it's, <laughs> I got to share one story with you. You'll, you'll find this amusing. Uh, so I had this uh, a, a PR person from a very large technology company who will remain anonymous now, like call me up furious, furious that they were not on the landscape. And like I immediately go back to them and I'm like, actually, you're on the landscape in four areas. We put you in four categories. We don't put anybody in four categories. We put you in these four categories without missing a beat, PR person comes back and says, well, here's the other 16 categories where we should be in as well too. I'm like, okay, <laughs> just go away now. It's like the people, and, and I, I make fun of this, but I mean, I understand if you're a product marketer and you're, you really do care about the category your product's being associated with, they pay really close attention to that. But again, for like the normal marketers, nobody's using my graphic of like 
eight thousand to like hone in with like a you know magnifying glass and try and figure out, oh who do we get for our social media marketing? You know, it's like that's just not how it's used. And so, chill. It, it like. <laughs> <laughs> Now that it's gotten so big, and as you've mentioned, PR people from large companies are calling you sometimes. People are looking forward to the MarTech super graphic. Do you ever struggle with imposter syndrome or have you ever kind of struggled with like, why am I the person doing this? I mean, I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur by background. So imposter syndrome is where I like have lived my life. Uh, yeah, so I don't know that this is any different. You know, again, on the landscape, I guess it doesn't bother me that much because again, there isn't really anything magical about that. I mean, anyone who actually wanted to invest several thousand hours of their lives into tracking this stuff down and putting little logos, could do it. This is not a very high-end skill. Um, so, so yeah, I don't feel a lot of imposter syndrome about that. I think where I feel the broader imposter syndrome is, you know, over the years, I've, I've sort of been seen as, um, yeah, just one of the, the figures of the MarTech industry. And so I often feel like people attribute a level of like, oh, well, if there's a MarTech question, like Scott must have the answer to it. He's the omniscient MarTech person. I'm like, oh, good God, no. I mean, like there is so much happening across this industry and it's so deep. I mean, not a week goes by that I'm not like continually learning things that I never knew existed, that I never even knew were possible. I'm like, wow, that's incredible. And so partly it's, yeah, like I, I am definitely not the omniscient MarTech person, but part of why I want to share that is because I feel like everyone in marketing now to a certain degree has an imposter syndrome around MarTech. Everyone is feeling insecure. Like, I just don't understand all these possible things. Surely I am falling behind the rest of the world. And I kind of want to assure you that no, actually the whole world is in this spot right now. There's so much happening, changing so quickly, innovating so quickly. Nobody, nobody on the planet like knows all of this stuff, you know? So, you know, deep breath, you're, you're not alone. It's a, it's, a, it's a challenge, but you're not alone in that, I assure you. Yeah, because I think uh, if anything, the graphic now gives you such a sense of feeling small. You're like, I, like, I feel like I've been working in, you know, my whole career in uh, like software for a while. And I'm like, I don't know any of these people or any of these things, or even what some of these categories are. So it's, it's very nice to know that you're at least somewhat in the same boat. I'm very, very much so. This is definitely one of these fields where I would argue, actually, the more, you know, the more you realize there's way more that you don't know. So, okay. So one of the things that I think is, is interesting is marketers are always trying out new things. And one of the pieces of data that we've looked at at Zoom Info has been how many tools a company has, right? As a company gets more employees, they get more tools. That's one of the things we've noticed. So when you have a company with like one to 10 employees, they might have 10 tools. When you get to a company with over, you know, a couple thousand employees, they tend to have 200 plus tools. But there are over 8,000 tools in the kind of marketing tech landscape. Um, one, did you ever think it would get that large? And two, do you think there's a limit? This isn't just MarTech. What's basically happened in the world is thanks to the major cloud platforms, AWS, Azure, Google Cloud, 
all this open source capabilities, um, the barriers to creating software are really low. I mean, again, if you're trying to build like a multi-billion dollar software brand, hey, that's that's a whole different story. But if you're looking to just create some software to solve a very specific problem, if you can just build it and do it. It's getting easier all the time. And the power of these things that you can leverage out of AWS and Google Cloud, like they keep getting more powerful all the time. And so I think what you see now is it's not just major companies or companies who aspire to be the next billion dollar breakout. It's these smaller entrepreneurial ventures who they see across a segment of customers and they're like, oh, we can build software to do this. And next thing you know, they're selling it and they've got whatever it is, a few hundred customers. Maybe it's a $10 million business, a $20 million business. This is not going to be the sort of thing that, you know, is going to make it to an IPO, but boy, you get a group that owns their niche and it's, you know, a few dozen people pulling in $10 million a year. That ain't a bad business. Hmm. So it's sort of this idea that like, because it's easier to build tools, we could build more niche tools. Yeah. So like, let me give you an example. If you go to WordPress, they've got something like 60,000 plugins that are available for WordPress today. Now, are all these plugins great? No, actually, probably the majority of them suck. You know, probably a majority of them have been abandoned. But still, just consider for a moment, WordPress is really just one piece of software out there. And now you've got this universe of like 60,000 other more specialized pieces of software that were built around that. There's just millions of apps, you know, that are out there for these things. And so I think it's just you've gotten into a dynamic where the universe of potential apps and the size of an app that can be viable is just very different than anything that existed 10, 20 years ago. Jay McBain at Forrester recently walked me through the math of why he estimates there is 175,000 SaaS companies today. And he believes by 2027, that number will be 1 million. Because... Every business starts to become a software business, you know, and all these folks who are able to have their small little side business that's a software business. And this is welcome to the digital world. With everything that has happened in 2020, one thing we've noticed is that simply a lot more businesses are digitizing, right? A lot more small businesses are coming online. A lot more companies are using shopping carts, a lot more companies are doing ads on Facebook. Um, how do you think this rapid digitization is going to change the MarTech or affect the MarTech landscape? You know, we haven't started work on our 2021 landscape, but I can tell you based on the ratio of the number of news stories I get of an acquisition relative to the number of notices I get of new startups that have been launched and gotten funding, the new ones are still outpacing the consolidation. So I still think it's it's gonna be a bit expansionary for a while. And it's partly because the market of potential buyers for these technologies is growing tremendously. Why do you think marketers adopt new technologies? Marketing is in the business of differentiation. A marketer discovers a technique that no one else is doing. They do it you know, and they get these great returns on it. And then eventually everyone else starts doing it and the returns drop and, you know, eventually it becomes shitty click-throughs and now you have to go out and find some new thing. And there's a reality 
to this. And so I think marketers are kind of always forced in this position of whatever you were doing yesterday that was working, you can't really rely on it to like carry you through next year. And so they keep themselves attuned to like, okay, is there some new thing we can do that will get us there ahead of the rest of the crowd? You know, some people would look and say shiny object syndrome. I actually think that's marketers doing exactly what they should do, which is figure out how do I get an edge, you know, before my competitors. Yeah, that you phrase it in a very nice way. I've also heard it as marketers ruin everything. Uh, so, <laughs> so like whatever, it's like great social media suite that marketing gets involved and ruins that or like whatever it is. It's always like marketers ruin everything that's going to be cool. Um, but you have a much nicer way of saying it. <laughs> so, all right, but even if we, we buy into your proposition, marketers are going to ruin everything. And still as a marketer, that means like, oh, damn it. Well, all my peers just ruined that thing that was working really well for me. So now I better go find something else. <laughs> yeah. The reason I like this so far is because I feel like he's sort of saying that as part of survival of the fittest, if you will. It's necessary for us to constantly be trying out new things and staying on top of what's currently going on in the market because if we don't, then we'll fall behind the rest of the industry and lose our competitive advantage. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at like at a basic level, it's like I think there's uh, an immediate advantage of what we're doing right now, right? Like that is like describing what what Scott is talking about. We're executing as we're doing this show, right? We're using a new a new piece of software to open up a new channel that's less popular that or that's not as popular as like other things or things that you would traditionally do. And to me, it's like yeah, it's also something. It's just also more fun on the other side. <laughs> It's like, it's more fun. It's more interesting. People respond to stuff that's new, not stuff that's like the same shit they've seen a thousand times over. Now, the thing is, you've been doing the MarTech landscape for years now. Um, And what do you think you see that other people don't by taking this kind of 30,000 foot view? The number one thing I would take away from this journey is empirical evidence trumps theory. You know, so pretty much since the very first days when I started producing that landscape, the immediate reaction I would get every time I published it was like, all of these tools are going to go away. It's going to consolidate down to a few dozen like in within the next year or two. And the funny thing is, I would get that same narrative year after year after year. And I'm like, listen, I hear you, man. I hear that's what you want. I hear why you claim there's a theory that that's going to be the case. I don't really have a dog in this fight. I'm just presenting you the actual empirical evidence of what is happening year over year. And there's a trend line. Let's look at the direction it's going. And then, yeah, sure. If if you think that's going to magically disappear next year, you could be right. Um, but yeah, what's, what's the data that you're bringing to the equation there to, 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 to prove that? And so I think it's actually, I mean, I'll be honest, I did not expect this landscape to take on the, the growth it did. I've been as surprised as anyone. And I think what it's taught me is this humility of like, 
you know, particularly as, you know, analysts or marketers, I mean, we're always asked to like, you know, predict the future and where is this going and what's it, you know, and I think it's just the, this landscape exercise has just given me the humility to say that, you know, predicting the future is friggin' hard. What is perhaps more valuable is to spend less time predicting the future and a little more time just keeping your eyes open to what's actually happening around you uh, because that's something actually that can change your strategy and it can change your tag. It can change what you are able to do if you recognize the here and now, you know, and um, yeah, who knows uh, what the future will bring. That's, I, yeah, I mean, that is not what I expected uh, <laughs> out of you. Uh, to say like, we're looking at this thing, I've been watching it for years and the main lesson seems to be pay more attention to the present, stop looking as much towards the future. I feel like you would have been popping off predictions left, right and center about like what's gonna happen or where the biggest trends are going to be. Is there any predictions you have made that were either like really, really wrong or really, really right? So, I think the one I was right on is by the time I got to like the 2014 landscape, I think the post I wrote either to release it or shortly after was like a thousand MarTech companies in the world is the new normal. It's not going to fall below that number. Um, and I think that one ended up being true. I just actually did a paper about a month or so ago with the WPP, you know, where they had asked me to try and take my best assessment of like, what do you think the trends over the next 10 years in MarTech will be? And again, I'm always reluctant on making hardcore predictions, but what I looked at was like, okay, here are some trends that are actually happening today that everything I see suggests that those trends are only going to accelerate. And it's the stuff around no code. It's the stuff that there's going to be more software in the world, not less. You know, I think all the focus on big data for the past 10 years, I think it's going to shift to be much more of a focus on what we call big ops, which is much more about like the execution, uh, you know, of automations and apps around this data. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see if when we get to 2030, you can look back and say, yes, yeah, Scott, boy, you were like seriously wrong on all five of those. <laughs> do, this, is, this is random, but do people like at this point believe you when you make a prediction or do people push back on you a lot? And both, you know, <laughs> uh, and, and part of it is, again, I'd be like the first person to like push back to, I actually, I really do enjoy engaging with people who argue against, something I'm saying on this. I mean, you know, there are some people who just are just going to troll you no matter what you do. And so that's not much fun, you know, but if someone is like genuinely like, here's why I think you're wrong, you know, and this is the case for it. Man, I love those conversations because this is a complex world and yeah, it's entirely possible that, you know, I'm looking at some sort of trend through one lens and somebody else has a different lens and some different data. And you're like, oh, yeah, okay, that's an entirely different dimension that I didn't even think of. Um, yeah, yeah, bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> so if marketers should handle the too much tech problem by making more data-driven predictions, what should software companies do? How do new companies enter an increasingly oversaturated field and survive? For Scott, there's a very simple answer to this. Find your niche.
This will be where the specialization comes in, like MindBody. They're not trying to compete with Salesforce or HubSpot or these other folks in like, oh yes, we're the you know horizontal CRM for everything. There are some things that are very specific about the services they're delivering. For them to do a really specialized version of that and then be able to go to you know these gyms and be like, Hey, listen, look how perfect of a fit this is, you know, and people are like, oh, yeah, that is that's awesome. Yeah, let me do that. I think you're going to see a lot more of that, because, again, now going back to those entrepreneurs who can create software relatively cheaply, like if they find any particular like, I don't know, pet salons. Mm -hmm. I mean, will there be a software for pet salons? I wouldn't be surprised. Actually, this is my one great regret, by the way. I had, a, <laughs> I had the opportunity at one point when I was launching uh, the SaaS thing that became my previous company, where we briefly had toyed, my founders and I, like, we'd done a couple of, you know, trips to Napa Valley just for fun. And I'm like, wow, wouldn't it be amazing to write the SaaS software for wineries and winery businesses and then, like, spend your days, like, going around and engaging with all of them? To this day, this is my one regret that that was not the, you know, SaaS I built. I, I don't know how profitable it would have been, but boy, that would have been a fun experience. So, but yeah, I, I think you'll see a lot, lot of those like niche vertical solutions. Looking towards like the, the categories that have risen, right? It seems like the standouts from the last year was a lot in data and a lot in compliance. And I'm wondering if you could just talk about the context of why you think those categories are rising. I think we've gotten to a place where five years ago, 10 years ago, certainly five years ago, like marketers just like, give me data, 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 you know, and I store it all in and stuff it all in and more data, the better. Um, but not a lot of attention was paid to the maintenance of that data or the quality of it. Because at the end of the day, a lot of the marketing tactics we were employing were still in the mode of like, oh, well, just throw more names at it, right? Like, ah, <laughs> oh, you need more leads? Well, just send out more emails to more people. Done. Miller time. Um, <laughs> you know, and what's happened now in the past few years is we've now got some really sophisticated technologies that can segment and act on people based on all these data signals. But in order for those algorithms to perform properly, it's, it's garbage in, garbage out. Like you need quality data, you know, in order to be able to make, uh, to, to, to rely, you know, on now what those machine learning algorithms are doing. And I think this is sort of the hidden benefit that came out of GDPR is I think up until GDPR, marketers didn't want to spend any money on data quality. It was like, why would I do that? I can go out and buy another list instead of like maintain the one I have. GDPR forced people to start to put some of these mechanisms in place to, you know, have better quality. And then in the process, I think a lot of marketers actually discovered, well, wait a second, actually, this is better because my list might be smaller now, but I actually know who these people are. I'm getting better engagement from them. You know, now when I feed this stuff into my, you know, lead scoring mechanisms, the accuracy, you know, that's coming out on the other end is just a lot, uh, you know, greater. Um, and so I think, yeah, the, you know, marketers have started to get real religion around, you know, not just quantity of data, but quality of data. Um, and as a result, yeah, we're now seeing this data field has a lot of opportunity for innovation around data quality. Huh. So correct me, but this is not a right interpretation, but it seems like part of what you're saying is that like quality of the algorithms, the quality of the machine learning, could it overcome that it was 
garbage in data to start. Is that sort of the problem? Yeah. And I, again, I think if you look at the past two years, there's been a sort of a parallel maturity here is a, the machine learning has been getting a lot better in the past two years. Like a lot of the algorithms and, you know, where they were being deployed was still quite limited a few years ago. Now it's, you know, much better algorithms and they're embedded in a lot more scenarios. Uh, and at the same time, over these past few years, again, initially inspired from a compliance requirement, marketers have just gone a lot tighter on the quality of their data. Uh, and those two things feed into each other. That It's a, what they call that virtuous cycle. The virtuous cycle, yes. <laughs> it's like quality data, better machine learning, better machine learning, better quality data, all that stuff. Exactly. So with a bunch of people adding all of this new tech, do you think things are going to lose their efficacy quicker? Is there kind of going to be a mm. great plateau of effectiveness for a lot of these marketing technologies? There will be moments here and there where you get the edge with some technology. But I mean, all of those products on my landscape are all commercially available. Anyone with a credit card can go and get them. So it's like, you can't really think that buying one of those products, you know, is truly some moat of competitive advantage. The other thing I'd say on this is, as much as I love MarTech, the difference is not in the MarTech you buy. The difference is in the way you actually wield it. I mean, one of the things I've learned from going to 8,000 websites of MarTech companies is most of them have really shitty, <laughs> really crappy websites. I mean, like I go to them, I'm like, okay, I'm a MarTech person. I'm reading your website. And for the life of me, I cannot figure out what the hell you do. Can you just explain what you do for the love of all that's holy, you know, and, and, and most can't, but then you'll come across one that does. And it's like, oh, wow, that's brilliant. I get the pitch. I see the value proposition. You're like, that's beautiful. It doesn't matter which technologies those different companies were using to build their website. The ones who are like wielding it to actually make a really compelling presentation, they're the ones I've got to put money on. Like they're the ones who are going to win. The others, it doesn't matter how cool their digital experience platform is. They're like, you know, pumping like terrible marketing through it. <laughs> so I guess in a similar vein, but, but switching gears, very quick, quick question. Do you like the Beach Boys? I do. Wow, that's non sequitur. <laughs> non sequitur. So one of the things about Brian Eno is he was one of the people that popularized the idea of the studio as an instrument, right? That the studio is more than just a place that you would record. It has a defined effect on the output. And I was wondering if you, like how you would kind of respond to that idea in the context of marketing technology, often something where the tools you use, I mean, you just said it's always that it may not have a huge effect, but I mean, do you think that the tools we use have an effect on that output? Yes, I think here's the thing. It's the combination, like I could go into the same studio, you know, that like Brian Wilson, like, you know, recorded Pet Sounds in. And I'm pretty sure Pet Sounds is not coming out of my session, <laughs> you know, but you have to acknowledge that the tools, you know, that Brian Wilson had in the studio combined with his, you know, vision and inspiration created something magical. And I think that really is the way to look at it. Yes, these tools can enable 
us to create things that just weren't even conceivable, you know, a few years ago. But it's very rare to find a MarTech where it's just, you know, the, the, the tool itself, like buy this and magical things just automatically happen on the other end. Um, you, you have to develop the skills. You have to wield it with the, you know, creativity and talent. Awesome. Thank you so much, Scott. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. This is a great conversation. Well, thanks for having me as a guest and, and putting up with my uh, ranting on some of these things. Too, so. <laughs> no, I love it. Thank you. I really appreciate it. So I think that like I, the thing I like about Scott is that there's this endless, endless this projection of there's always going to be new stuff, there's always going to be new tools, there's always going to be more things, there's always going to be more capacity, but none of that is going to change the fact that like to do something that stands out, you have to be creative and you have to do something new and you have to do something that wasn't there before. Uh, and. And the way you combat the extreme overabundance and actually like make decisions that will benefit you is by making data-driven predictions instead of theorizing about what you think is going to happen when there's no actual evidence to back it up. Yeah, because like, yeah, Scott's very into this idea of like you get <laughs> – like you can imagine your version of the world and you can get really caught up in your head with your expectations of how you think things are going to be. Um, there can't be any more companies. There can't be any new tools. It has to have a limit. Like, no, it doesn't necessarily have a limit. Like it could just go on endlessly. Um, and it's like, you could look at things and, and assume that, like, like, yeah, the, my prediction makes sense for X, Y, Z reason. But if I just look at the basic chart of like, we started with 150 MarTech companies and nine years later, we're at 8,000. Like, it's hard to argue against that. Thanks for listening to Talk Data to Me. If you'd like to know when new episodes come out, make sure to subscribe on Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to help us out, please leave a review because it helps people find the show. This episode was produced by Steph Tonneson with help from me, Sam Balter, and Casted Productions. Thanks to Scott and the whole team over at MarTech working on creating crazy cool super graphics. Thanks again and see you next time on Talk Data to Me.